Grace, mercy, and peace are yours this day from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, you would expect a God who is all-powerful to hold a tighter grip on creation. I'm just saying it's frustrating because so much of what really matters to us is very fragile. So much can destroy the body and everything we hold dear. Like, it's really easy to say God is in control when everything is going right, or at least works out in the end like movies have taught us that things should. It's harder to say God is in control when your life is like a slow-motion train wreck that nobody for the life of them can look away from. When it feels like God spun up the world, but then stepped back. You can hear it even in how we talk about it. When Christians try and describe a God in control, it feels like nothing more than occasionally giving a little push here or there to the world that is wobbling faster and faster. You can tell by how many of the descriptions of God's control involve the words, at least. At least I didn't die. At least he only lost one arm. It wasn't even the one he writes with. God is in control. You'll be hated by all for my name's sake, but at least the one who endures to the end will be saved. You'll be persecuted in one town, but hey, at least you can flee to the next, so yay. It's frustrating. It's so frustrating that we usually lose fact. We lose sight of the fact that this is exactly the world that God intended to send missionaries to. He sent the disciples out into a world full of at leasts, into a world full of dangers, bearing a truth that will turn families against each other and invite persecution on the ones who would speak it. The disciple is not above his teacher. If they call Jesus the servant of evil, how much more do you really think that they're going to applaud you? Should you be so surprised when they call you bigots, enemies, small-minded idiots? It is enough for the servant to be like his master, and Jesus came into the world to die. So what's that really leave for us who follow him? This was the pep talk Jesus gave before the disciples went out. Understand, Jesus is a terrible motivational speaker. There's no way to dress this up. There's no way to pretend this is anything other than what it is. Jesus sent the disciples out to start a church that was intended to fail by every single worldly standard, by the very God who established it. He did not promise them that people would hang on their every words. He did not promise them power. He did not promise them even that the church would grow. And that's something we need to come to terms with that the church was never actually called to growth, just faithfulness. Read the scriptures. God promised to handle the growth when and where he wills. He simply tells the disciples, go and tell the truth and I'll handle the rest. Go and speak the truth and don't hold back a word. I will take care of the rest in my own time and on my own terms, so don't worry about how it looks. Just go and cling to that truth. It's freeing even as it's terrifying. 
Jesus sent us out into this world to cling to a truth, and even though it should have failed by every worldly standard, the church still stands. We're still here. And we didn't do that. God did. Look at all of the reasons the wheels should have fallen off this bus a long time ago. And we're here. Because God is still working, even though it looks like the world is falling apart. Because that's where God works. Where things fall apart. Where things are broken by the damage that sin does. Christianity will not conquer the world. It's not supposed to. There's been a few times when we've tried it and maybe even come pretty close. But if we ever do, whatever that'll be, I promise you it's not witness. And I'd maybe even argue that the times that we've come the closest were probably the times that we looked the least Christian when we did it. It's madness by the world's standards. But when you look to our Lord, nothing is covered that is not revealed. To aim after what the world calls success is to aim away from the failures that Jesus points us toward. To aim after glory and power and control is to aim away from the God who would set aside all of it for you. See where it's embodied. Look to the cross. Jesus entered into creation not for what the world calls success, not for the power that they would measure it by. He came into our world to fail by those standards. Jesus came into our world to allow these things to overwhelm him as he died on the cross to save sinners like us who didn't have enough control to save ourselves. He came to save you, not by strength, but by weakness. He would not call down fire or angelic armies to smite his enemies. His divinity was not measured in control. His divinity was not measured in getting his way all the time. His divinity was measured in compassion. He came to be given over unto death, and after dying to rise again to a life that we would have hope, even if we don't have control. He came into this world because seeing everything falling apart, he would not step back from the world that wobbles while it spins. He would dive into the middle of it to save the ones who cannot fix it and quite frankly have done a lot to break it. He comes into this world to save the people who have tried their best and fallen short of it. He came to save me. He came to save you. He bled and died upon a cross so that we could measure something other than how much control we have in this life. We measure simply the resurrection of our God. Christ is risen from the dead. And so a lack of control can't be so deadly after all. It turns everything on its head. How do you see failure? How do you see suffering? How do you see humiliation? Are these the things that you flee from? Or simply the marks of the cross that our Lord bore for you? Where he suffered, where he was humiliated, and where he failed by every standard of the world, but gave you a victory. If you measure God's love by control, especially the control that he gives you, you'll miss it most of the time. But what he tells you in the dark, say in the light. God's love is measured in compassion, not control. God's love is measured in the cross. It's the great difference between the religions of the world and Christianity. It's the great difference between what the church is supposed to look like and the ideals the church would so often steal from the world because we covet their power. To the world, it's always been about control. To Jesus, it's always been about compassion. 
He has compassion enough to sacrifice his control to save you. Hear it in what would otherwise sound like a threat. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. So, yay. The world can't destroy your soul. Even the devil can't do that. The only one who can destroy both body and soul in hell is God. Recognize that this is about control. You don't have it. You cannot do enough to fulfill the law. You cannot do enough to save your soul. You sin and fall short of it. Those weaknesses you flee from, they're evidence that even apart from the Ten Commandments, you need help. So fear God. That simply means recognize that you can't control him. But then recognize you don't need to. If God is the lion, he may not be tame, but he is good. You don't need to control God because he actually loves you. He has compassion for you. Measure it there where he gave his life to save yours. Look at the weaknesses you try hardest to escape and recognize that when God tells you even the hairs on your, hair or your head are numbered, he's not telling you how to keep from going bald. He's telling you that he loves you so much that he knows all you're going through. And he joins you there. He enters into weakness, into failure, into humiliation. The weakness isn't proof that God is far. It's proof that he is nearby. Look to the cross where he is made weak with you and for you. He bleeds and dies for you so that you can know that no failure in this world can keep Jesus in the tomb and so no weakness can harm you either. Do not be afraid of what can destroy the body for Jesus has raised it even now. You are of more value than sparrows. You are of more value than the things that fall apart in this world. You are worth simply what was paid for you, not gold or silver, but the resurrection of God who would first bleed and die for you. You are worth God's mercy. You are worth his compassion. And so, see God in terms of his goodness, not in terms of whether or not you can make him do what you want and get control. Let go of control. Know that some things break and can't be fixed this side of glory, and that's okay. Know that the universe is big and you are very small. Know exactly that's where Jesus establishes his church. Know the odds are against us and always have been, and then push back anyway. Disturb the universe. Preach the gospel. Tell them not everything dead stays that way. Watch a world focused on control push back harder than you ever could. And then rejoice. Because Jesus didn't conquer the world either. He didn't need to. He conquered death. That's why there is a church. To give mercy to those that he has compassion on. To give life to the dying. To give hope to you. To be a truth, a goodness, a beauty in a world so bent on success. It's never been about winning. It's never been about control. It's still compassion. So that when we confront the world, we can live and acknowledge something about who we share it with. There are people here loved by God, even if you aren't particularly fond of them. And you are loved by God, too. Acknowledge that simple truth before men, even though they would mock it. Jesus died for you, and Jesus died for all. You wear the robes of righteousness and resurrection, even now in your baptism. You saw it this day. God clothed his children in the waters of baptism. God gave you eternal life. God gives you protection and mercy and compassion, and he is with you always. These robes can't be torn. They're proof that God the Son sees you as his brother and his sister. They are proof that God's goodness is for you. They are proof that nothing in this world that you can't control can destroy you because the one in charge of your soul has promised you salvation and life everlasting. In the name of Jesus, amen.